0: Hey, take a chance and you find out great things. This is what this is all about this week on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. I'm sitting on a plane. I always tell you to sit in first class because you meet a lot of different people, a different class of people, so to speak. I'm not saying that in the back is not good, too. I sit there a lot. But many times I'm in the front, and when I'm in the front, I get to meet people. It happened to me right here, and this is how our guest got on the show. He, we start talking. I find out, you know, on the flight, he is a bigwig. He was a bigwig, still is a bigwig. Financials, we're talking about politics, we're talking about this, and finally ask him what he does, and it comes out that he'd quit his job right after 9-11, not much after that, in order to create a foundation a foundation where he was leading and doing different things, the New York Says Thank You Foundation, where New York says thank you for people who were affected by 9-11. And not only go beyond 9-11, how to turn a tragedy into something that's much better about hope and healing and what they're doing around, not only in the U.S., but around the world. I was so intrigued by the message and what they're doing and painting stars and doing all the things they're doing. I had to have them right here on All Business as a way of honoring 9-11. So welcome, Jeff.
1: From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
0: Hey, so we met on the plane. I can't even remember what flight we were going on. Do you?
2: Yeah, I think uh, we were New York to Chicago and I was flying on to Omaha, Nebraska to go visit with my uh, director of finance and director of operations were two ladies in Iowa who actually helped to manage my foundation here in New York.
0: Okay, so that's where you got me, okay? So being from South Dakota, what's a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn dealing with a bunch of Iowans?
2: Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of funny because I think I shared with you, if, if my business card was big enough, it would say nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn, who builds Methodist churches and cornfields in Indiana with Amish people, um, <laughs> and that's actually one of the things that that I was privileged to do. So, so Jeffrey, basically, my story in 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 nutshell, I, I was raised in an Orthodox Jewish community in in Brooklyn, New York. Um, learned about America by watching CBS Sunday Morning with Charles Kuralt, and was constantly fascinated by you know the stories of him driving his Winnebago into these you know, small town, you know, places in rural America and just interacting with people. And, you know, that was kind of my first insight into what America was about in, in the culture, and the sense of, you know, people in these small towns being there for one another. Um, you know, growing up in New York, I went to Yeshiva, Stuyvesant High School, University of Michigan. I interned for Chuck Schumer when he was a first term congressman, American Israel Public Affairs Committee. I actually had a White House internship for President Reagan. Um, helped to write a speech on the Strategic Defense Initiative. I was going to work on the National Security Council the next year, and then Iran-Contra happened. So my journey sort of went from being interested into politics into an entrepreneurial path. Uh, My senior year of Michigan, two good friends of mine had started a printing business in order to make money to build software and I was just fascinated I was like if these two schmucks could do it like how can I you know figure out how to start a business and
0: well, so, which company by the way I have to ask you which company that was
2: oh my gosh they had like a tiny little printing company and then they had a tiny little software company and then one of the one of my friends Tom Kipler went on to become one of the, the most successful high-tech marketing executives in Silicon Valley he actually partnered with Jeffrey um, Jeffrey Moore who wrote the book Crossing the Chasm Oh yeah. and yeah. so Tom is you know dear friend of mine and a mentor. Um, and it was really, you know, I think his entrepreneurial spirit my last year of college rubbed off on me. So so instead of pursuing politics, I, I kind of did everything I could for years to avoid getting a real job. And, you know, everything from self-publishing to, um, you know, wound up eventually uh, my first real job years later was at IDT Corporation. Um, where I helped to manage the initial public offering process of this large telecommunications company. And that was kind of my business school. To answer your question, how a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn winds up in, in Iowa was after IDT went public, and then I set out on my own to help other companies raise capital uh, to, to start technology businesses, primarily in the telecommunications space. Um, I had funded a company called Arbinet, became the world's largest telecommunications capacity exchange, with the founder of Arbinet, he and I started a seed stage venture fund um, to start other companies. We'd started an optical networking software company backed by Warburg Pincus. On 9-11, when 9-11 happened, one of the four partners in our seed stage fund, Hagai Sheffi, happened to be giving a speech at Windows on the World, at the World mm-hmm. Trade Center. Yep. And we didn't know Hagai was there. You know, one of our employees saw his aunt holding up a picture of him. Um, and that changed my world. Um, you know, I was a young father I had you know, three-year-old and a one-year-old and or actually one month old at that time. And, uh, you know, thinking about here we are in the business world, looking for the next deal, looking to build the next company. And then somebody like Haggai and, and 3000 other people die on this terrible day. So that really kind of stopped everything in my tracks. And the, the answer is for two years, I thought about Haggai every single day, trying to figure out what could I ever do to commemorate his life, and what could I do to make a statement to my young sons and all my colleagues that, you know, the world is different since that day, and that we have to be there for people, like people were here for us after, after the tragedy in New York. So how this all came full circle was November 1st, 2003, two years after 9-11, My five-year-old son, Evan, gets into a fight with his young brother, uh, Josh, over one toy. And I had a conversation with him. I said, listen, you know, there are kids a couple blocks away in Harlem who have nothing. You've got hundreds of toys. In the middle of this kind of heated conversation with a five-year-old, CNN comes on, and it was a story about the San Diego wildfires. Mm -hmm. And it was a story about a little girl who lost her Halloween costume when a house burned down. And I looked at my five-year-old son, Evan, and I said, you know, you wore three costumes yesterday. This little girl across the country lost everything when her house burned down. Like, what would you do to help a girl in that situation?
0: It's kind of a heavy thing, a heavy thing to lay on a five-year-old.
2: Well, to tell you the truth, you know, I I had always been a, a, I had been reading books about fatherhood and leadership and Poe Bronson's What Should I Do With My Life? And I was kind of at the point in my life where I was realizing that my son's were old enough, five and three, where they were learning from me by example, not just by what I said. Mm-hmm. And, and and I, I remember always wanted to be the type of father who never raised his voice. That day, I got so frustrated with Evan and Josh. And honestly, they had never fought in their entire life. The night before was Halloween. They were all sugared up. And he was like just going on and on about not sharing this one toy. And I raised my voice and wanted to you know kind of chill out. And I turn on the TV and here's the story about families across the country who've just lost everything. So it was kind of, you know, there was a little bit of anger in my voice where I wanted to challenge him and to break through his, you know, this this child, you know, focusing on this one toy. And I'm like, you have so much and this kid lost everything. Mm -hmm. What would you do to help that kid? Yeah. And he looks at me, (laughs) Jeffrey, very serious. Well, you know, dad, maybe some of the toys I don't play with that much. And maybe some of Josh's too. (laughs) He was thinking (laughs) how to give away his little brother's toys. Yeah. Maybe we could put him in a box, mail him to Aunt Molly, because my sister-in-law lives in San Diego. And then he looks at me, he's like, maybe Aunt Molly could take him to the shelter and find the mom and give to the girl. Mm. And then I I just was quiet because I wanted to absorb what he said. I wanted him to absorb what he said. And he looks at me so seriously, five-year-old, a few seconds later. You know, Dad, maybe we should put some clothes and some coins in the box for the little girl, too. Like he was thinking as a five-year-old, what else this other child might need? Mm -hmm. To be honest, I had never had a conversation with him about philanthropy or service. That week at the Rodef Shalom Day School, the rabbi had come through talking to the young kids about mitzvah day, the importance of doing a good deed for somebody in need. So he was just synthesizing what he had just learned. And I looked at him and, you know, I'm a big believer in dreaming big. And I looked at him, I'm like, wait, wait a second. What what if you collect toys from all the kids in our 35-story apartment building here in Manhattan? Mm-hmm. They were at the Halloween party last night. Oh, dad, we could send lots of stuff. I'm sitting there saying to myself, wait a second. If we actually do this, I'm going to have 35 boxes to send to California. I got to schlep it downstairs, bring it a mailbox, etc. cetera. They're going to charge me an arm and a leg to, to ship it to California. And it hit me. I'm like, I wonder if it's just cheaper to rent a truck and drive it there myself. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I said that, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. Because I remember thinking, what a statement that would make to teach my son a lesson about sharing if I actually did this and showed him that I would be crazy enough to drive cross-country just to teach him a lesson about sharing. And Jeffrey, as soon as I heard the word statement in my head, I realized there's a bigger statement to make, that New Yorkers never forgot what people did for us after 9-11. So within a split second, I had this vision. We're going to drive a truck from 96th Street and Broadway to San Diego filled with supplies, and I'm going to put a big sign on it that says New York says thank you. Within three days, we had 100 volunteers. We had 500 people load up a 17-foot U-Haul that that Wednesday, me and two friends drove from New York to San Diego, big filled with relief supplies, big sign, New York says thank you. And it was my way of paying tribute to Haggai. Um, and it was also a way to say, you know, we'll never forget what people did for us in our time of need, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was what I learned growing up as a Jewish kid in, in Brooklyn watching CBS Sunday Morning with Charles Kuralt about doesn't matter if you're a small town or a big city, people survive and they're hopeful when other people are there for them. So we drive cross country. We wind up on 22 television news programs in one week. A little boy in New York wants to help a little girl in California. All these New Yorkers join in to say thanks for the love and support after 9-11. And all these Americans cross country are filling our truck up. I went back five times. I want to understand how you use technology to help disaster victims recover. I wrote a book about the experience. The day I finished the book, May fifteenth, oh four, Evan, who was still five, he was watching the Weather Channel in the other room, and he comes in. Dad, when Josh and I grow up, could we drive the truck if there's a tornado in Iowa? Mm. It screwed wow. up my life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'll never get back to my corporate finance work ever again. Yeah, because of his inspiration, New York's Thank You Foundation's grown into an international disaster relief organization. We've had over 600,000 volunteers doing disaster relief, education, arts projects, all 50 states, 24 countries. And you know Jonathan Tisch, who we're blessed to have is one of our biggest financial supporters and a dear friend. And I, I tell him, in all honesty, it's 15 years later. I still wake up every morning trying to figure out how to piss off Osama bin Laden by being kind to people we don't know. <laughs>
0: so. i love it i love it hey i gotta take a quick break because i gotta go make some money and so i can keep spreading the word of this story and so many others but it's great to have one of my favorite brands as a sponsor of all business with jeffrey it when i'm ready for coffee break it can only be duncan i love duncan as you know and as america's largest retailer of coffee by the cup okay that's important because that's how they sell their coffee one cup at a time their Rich Bowl blends. Hit the spot for me every single time. America truly does run on Dunkin'. So don't forget to swing by your local Dunkin' and pick up a cup. There's a the guys. There, there's some guys that give some money. Uh, they give out a lot of money. That's pretty cool. I'm asking. So I'm listening to that sign, and you know, normally I, I, actually interrupt my guest a little bit before that because I got to get these commercials in. But let me tell you what. I let you go, let you go on a little bit more because I'm just. The, you can now tell folks, those of you listening in right now, why I wanted to talk to Jeff. As we just sit around, I'm a real believer in serendipitous uh, encounters. I'm a real believer that there are signs in this universe that point us to things. And uh, you can believe in whatever God you want. You can believe in whatever spiritual belief. But did you think the conversation you had your, with your son and what happened was a sign for you?
2: Um, wow, it's a great question. Um, I don't think at that moment I did. Mm-hmm. And everything in retrospect has pointed that this has been a divine journey from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with a dear friend this morning. I, I, I became an accidental serial nonprofit entrepreneur. I, out of New York says thank you. We started four other organizations. One that provided um, emergency child care services for kids in disaster. One that built clean rooms for kids with leukemia. One that builds the homes of cancer patients in disaster areas, as cancer survivors, as volunteers. And then the biggest thing that we have now, Stars of Hope, where we empower people around the world to express compassion through a little painting project that then connects to people around the world in need of hope. Mm -hmm. It's touched probably 80 million people. It was through this journey that I really kind of challenged myself to, to think about what's the spiritual dimension to this. Why am I doing this? Why am I stuck in the middle of all this tragedy. And, and, and there was a book um, called Toward a Meaningful Life, um, the wisdom of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. And, and in the middle of probably one of the most challenging times entrepreneurially, where I was trying to manage all these different projects off of a laptop computer in my bedroom here in New York, and I had so many families who had lost kids in tornadoes, who were losing kids to cancer calling me to ask for my help, it became a little bit overwhelming. And, and it was through that book where Rabbi Schneerson had a, a, a principle that it doesn't matter what religion, culture, faith you are. If you believe there's a God and God gives you a soul and within your soul is your divine purpose and your mission in life is to figure out what it is and act on it. And if everybody did that, irrespective of a religion, culture, background, you know, faith, politics, the world would just be a much kinder place. It
0: would be a better place without question. I mean, let me ask you a question with that because, I, look, you used to be in the financial world. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. I'm going to say my friend because I, I think we got a connection. I appreciate that. So, um, I I would not have believed that you would be such a nice person in the financial world. <laughs> but, ye- but yet, but yet I listen to you right now. Okay, and you you use terms, you use nice language. You're using terms like "my dear friend." Yeah. You're, you're thoughtful. You're, you're in, in fact, quite frankly, Jeff. Jeff, you're, you're soulful.
2: Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate. Well,
0: do you think do you do you think this experience changed you in that way, or were you, or am I, am I giving a misrepresentation of who you really were?
2: You know, it, it's a fascinating question. I feel like I'm on the shrink couch now, really going deep. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I it, it's kind of funny. I mean, full disclosure, I've put on Facebook my thesis for why there's a three percent chance I might run for president in 2028, yeah. and 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 the. The, t- the bumper sticker is uh, Jeff Parnes, 2028, Hope and Healing for America and the World.
0: Oh, that'd and, be a great message. And and that's I'm just that's, that's, I'm open. Oprah's going to run. I've just a side conversation.
2: Hey, listen, you know, I I went up to Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, the former Surgeon General of the United States, at the Aspen Arts and Ideas Festival about uh, two weeks ago, and I showed him our Stars of Hope project, how you know we're empowering people to um, to express their creativity. Um, in compassion with these wooden stars that connect and heal people and he was sitting there saying this is the this is one of the most important things you could do in the world to help people heal by helping others and by to foster a sense of human connection so so i think the answer is i probably got a lot of this from my mom who is effectively a single mom who is really altruistic and in raising me you know Part of it, I think, came from some adverse circumstances in my upbringing, complicated relationships with my dad and my stepfather who raised me, who was an alcoholic, but he was also my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was just sort of a lot of life experience that went into this and, and to the point of talking like this by by being sort of in a, a, a technology corporate venture capital space before – You know, my greatest success when I struck out on my own, I'll never forget, was when I raised the first $6 million for Arbonnet. And, you know, we had 45 employees. A lot of them were from South Asia, you know, programmers. And they probably had no idea that had we not raised the money that time, we probably would not have been able to meet payroll in a week or two. And I remember that was the first time in my life that I ever did anything where I was able to help put food on the table for other families. Hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of guys walking around Wall Street a lot richer than me. You know, it's years later and I'm like I, – I blew through all the money I made when Arbet finally went public and somehow took a vow of poverty like Mother Teresa. But I married well and my wife still likes me. She, <laughs> she's a, a partner at Denton's, the, the world's yeah. largest law firm. Yeah, pretty pretty big law firm. Yeah. yeah and, but the thing is it's like I, I wasn't in it to, to, for the big – for the monuments, you know, for the deal toys. I, what right. really – and it was actually at a venture capital conference And I forgot who it was and in which firm it was, but he was talking about his greatest joy was creating opportunities for people. And and I'm really doing the same thing now. I look at all the work that New York's Thank You Foundation has done. You know, I I try to keep this thing small so I could keep doing my corporate finance work, but how it grew exponentially was every group of people we helped who went through a tornado or a fire or or hurricane every year they would show up and help the next group of people as their way to pay it forward so i realized the power of empowering people to heal by helping others is what creates this inherent pay it forward and this exponential growth and and you know with i think i might have shared with you with the stars of hope project this was the simplest thing we ever conceived of. Yeah.
0: So t- talk about this because I the wooden stars. I, yeah. I, I When you told me about this, I said, what what
2: this it, it sounds crazy, right? If you no, go to but it, s-
0: it got me, that's what got it, that, that was the hook, you yeah. know, because we were talking. You meet a guy on the plane, blah 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 blah. You know, we're on again. Remember, we're New York. So I'm thinking I'm finance guy because you yeah. know the part a little bit. And so you know, and I'm thinking and you're probably saying the same thing about me because it's just part of the nature of being on the business plane, right? But then you just talked talk to me about the wooden stars. I went, tell me more. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So, so this is crazy. The, the, web, the website is starsofhopeusa.org. Um, there's a lot of stuff on Facebook if you look up Stars of Hope USA. Yeah. How it started was uh, a little over 10 years ago, the town of Greensburg, Kansas, was flattened by an EF5 tornado. 13 oh, yeah. people died. The town was 95% destroyed. It literally looked like Hiroshima. And there were 220 kids living in FEMA trailers. And when I showed up in town a couple months after the tornado, I asked one of the pastors in charge of the recovery, I said, what's the greatest need? He said, the greatest need is keeping the community together because the tornado destroyed the social fabric. There's no glue here anymore holding people together. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know what we're going to be able to do, but whatever we do has to be the glue factory. right? It has to create social glue, but then even more glue after we leave so I just had this simple vision walking around town. I said, you know, there's no color in town. There's no markers. There's no landscape. And I was fascinated at that time about the power of art and children. And we just had the simple idea. So we had the 220 kids paint inspirational messages and designs, colorful, on one-foot wooden stars. And we drilled them into spikes that we painted bright green. And we, we planted them in every single corner of the town. So even though there was nothing left, there were messages of hope from children. The kids brought their parents and grandparents out of the FEMA trailers and forced them to drive up and down every corner of town looking for their stars. Mm -hmm. So these stars have now showed up in about 147 communities, 24 countries. Um, Originally, it was about empowering kids in disaster sites to change the not just the physical landscape, but the emotional landscape. Then whole communities started asking for it. Joplin, Missouri, Minot, North Dakota, after the tornadoes, the floods, then the nine eleven museum says to us, well, could you bring stars of hope to the family day event so that we could do something colorful and positive that's connected back to the tragedy, but is also very hopeful going forward. So it was a few years ago, Jeffrey, that we're doing stars of hope at nine eleven museum and all these moms start saying, well, Could my daughter do this at her birthday party? And we're like, well, why not? Because there are a lot Mm -hmm. of people in the world who need hope. You know, we can't be everywhere. Why don't we distribute the service project to people's dining room tables or to their backyard parties? So the social venture capital guy in me clicked on again. I said, wait a second. Instead of us doing one big barn raising every year on 9-11, why don't we just become frictionless figure out a way to put this whole service project in a box. We'll charge a hundred bucks. We'll make 40% margin and we'll figure out how to turn every 12 year old girl's birthday party into a service event to make the world a more hopeful place. So the venture capitalist in me started thinking, well, what's the closest comparable business model to it? And I realized it was build a bear workshop because Maxine Clark, you know, figured out how to turn the creation of a uh, of a teddy bear into a child's relationship building experience with all their friends and family. He
0: does a great job. Wonderful lady. I've known her for years.
2: It took me a year to get a meeting with Maxine. Uh, you should have called. You should have
0: called me at the C-suite. Well, Just,
2: you, know, you and I went on the plane together. Then, right? Yeah. But listen, there was a, there was a Baptist minister in the in the Bronx who once said, "Jeff, sometimes you're not ready for the blessing, right? So, <laughs> so, but it, but it comes on time." So, long story short, was I met Maxine? I said, Maxine, how do I sell fifty million dollars worth of boxes? over 10 years and turn every 12-year-old girl's birthday party into a service event. So she said, oh, simple. you got to go hire my former chief marketing officer, Teresa Kroll. So we chased her down, and she's been guiding us. So the, our whole business model for our foundation, which is a nonprofit, I mean, we still take in donations. Uh, we just finished a million-dollar match from Jonathan Tisch and a wonderful family in Chicago. But our whole business model is now predicated on Let's see if we could sell fifty million dollars worth of boxes of hope and turn every twelve-year-old girl's birthday party into a service event, because the net profit off of that, even if we have to share it with marketing partners, will help to sustain our foundation forever. Yeah. And and it's very rare that a nonprofit could do good in the world and fund itself in that in that in that process. So that's where our entire business model is headed, and. You know, we hope to knock on the doors of folks like Michael's or the Hobby Lobbies or other large consumer facing organizations of the very near future to say, listen, we've already done this over 10 years. We've had 65,000 people paint stars. We have thousands of messages of disaster survivors around the world who said these messages meant the most to them at their darkest hour. And here's something you could do, you know, with your family from home. Um, corporations started ordering the Box of Hope as soon as we went live right after the San Bernardino terrorist attack. We had 40 major companies painting Stars of Hope in their offices in response to either physical you know, tragedies or man-made tragedies. We never even thought about corporate volunteerism. I was thinking about birthday parties for kids. So it's really created like a whole new category of corporate volunteerism. I and mean, we just took our first booth at the large HR conference from Sherm And, you know, so now it's just we're in the how do you create exponential hope and healing business and make 40 percent margin doing it.
0: Uh, I, you know, I love this. And I'm sitting here thinking you worked for Star Wars under Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> and by, now a lot of people listening won't know what I'm talking about. But when you talking about SDI, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking this this compassionate individual Who's talking about this, once worked on a laser-guided laser system would knock missiles out to kill nuclear weapons at All one right. point or use nuclear weapons in outer space to kill other nuclear weapons. That's crazy, crazy, crazy. How do you measure success? I mean, you, you seem to kind of, like, touch on it like, a little bit in terms of what you guys are doing. It sounds like you've been wildly successful without well, question.
2: It's crazy. You know, I, I think I measure success by obsoleting myself. Um, yeah. You know, if everything I build could last after I get hit by the bus, and we can make a difference in one person's life, then mission accomplished. Um, I think that's what we're all here for. You know, the the experience I had with President Reagan, and I was in the Office of Public Liaison for Defense Foreign Policy helping to put on his speech. Um, It was the second largest event. I was actually part of the group that drafted it. And that speech led to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, And there's a whole story behind that. But but it, it brought me back to this point in my life where a couple of years ago, it, I was in Jerusalem during the war between Hamas and in, um, in Israel, uh, summer of 2014. And I was with my Chabad rabbi and a dear friend of mine who moved there. And I said, you know, my entire journey is taught me about hope and healing, and maybe it's really preparing me for something larger. And the the peace between Israel and in and, and Palestine to me is really significant. I, I've I've been blessed to to become friends with um, the founders of a group called Combatants for Peace. These are former Palestinians who spent time in Israeli prison for trying to kill Israelis and former Israeli soldiers who refused to serve in the West Bank. And they decided, you know what? Let's just do this peacefully. We could bring about political change peacefully. Um, They're actually uh, nominated for Nobel Peace Prize this year, this Mm. grassroots organization. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out how do I take my business skills, my fundraising skills, uh, my humanitarian skills that I only really developed through this and and figure out how do I ratchet it up to see what are the creative solutions to apply there? Because at the end of the day, if you could save one life, the Talmud says you save the world.
0: And and that's what drives me. Yeah, which is cool. Hey, let me talk about uh, one thing, and then i have been so enwrapped. I'm 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 blown by my times. So it's just I'm supposed to insert. I'm supposed to do my job, Jeff. <laughs> That's okay. It's all, yeah, it's all right. It's but I'm talking about my friends at Liberty Tax, and if you're listening to the show, you probably have an entrepreneurial spirit without question. And we're learning a lot about being an entrepreneur and having spirit of, of love and hope too, and healing, which I think is pretty cool. It has nothing to do with Liberty Tax, but certainly about the message. That's why I want. I, but I want to talk to you about a franchise opportunity at Liberty. They've got a proven system, ongoing training, marketing support, national brand awareness, great financing ops. Liberty Tax uh, path to success, man. These guys win it. I met with their franchisees over and over. And you guys have heard me before. I love Liberty Tax. So go check them out, libertytaxfranchise.com. Let, let me ask you, Jeff, we've got a couple minutes left. But well, what's the greatest need that you guys have at, at New York says thank you?
2: Uh, well, I appreciate you asking the question. I mean, it, it, I don't want to say it's money because any nonprofit, Will tell you that. I, I think money it, helps.
0: Come yeah. on, money helps. Yeah, no, money I, I
2: helps. think the, I appreciate that. I think it's people. I think it's yeah. you know, there's probably somebody out there listening who has been looking for an opportunity to get involved with it. It's amazing, you know. It's 15 years after 9 11. This is the 16th anniversary. Mm-hmm. You have no idea how many people I still come across, Jeffrey, who still have a hard time talking about it and are looking... Oh yeah, no, all the are, time. ...are yeah, looking yeah. to do something positive with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, our train is really only picking up speed. And and to a certain extent, I feel like we're just getting started. So, you know, I think the, the... Obviously people want to donate. We're a 501c3. We're always welcome at, you know, donations big and small. People who want to get involved. I mean, we're always looking for great board members that especially could bring strategic business experience to where we're at now of, of trying to turn ourselves, you know, into something that looks a little bit more like Tom's shoes or Warby Parker or social venture, you know, a capital type of, of operation. We need those types of business disciplines within the construct um, so we're always looking for good people who, who want to help us. The marketing partnerships to us is is, is what's going to happen. So if there's anybody out there from Michael's or or, or you got a lot of good customers. Hobby,
0: Hobby Lobby. I are, was thinking about
2: Hobby Lobby. There are a lot of those. And you know what mm-hmm. it is? I mean, we had conversations with ARP because we have so many grandparents who are buying these boxes of hope for their families to do together. Four generations of families will sit at Thanksgiving and paint stars of hope. To, to help somebody in their community or send them to some place where they just had a tragedy around the, the country or the world. So I think it's just a function of, of finding those people who want to, you know, become part of this army of hope. That, what, that, a, what a great belt really Can you buy individual ones? Yeah, actually, you could go to net. And you can just order your box. It's a 100 bucks. Part of that is a charitable donation, which is the the profit margin that we make. And then our factory in Pennsylvania will ship it directly to you. And it's self-guided with a beautiful magazine uh, in there to to really engage families with a conversation with their kids. Well, who needs hope? And what are the words? What are the designs, expressions that can lift somebody's spirits? And how could we connect? So we really put this whole thing in a box where we don't have to be involved in it. And you can go to thehopeshop.net. Um, And uh, you know, in order that and experience it, companies are ordering it in mass. In some cases, um, online to do service projects, and in some you know cases, we're 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 honored to participate with the companies to really lead them through team building exercises or sales conferences. They're doing this because they realize you know to take forty five minutes or an hour of your day in a corporate environment or at a at a conference environment to say this is something we could do. That could really touch the lives of people. I, I just got off the phone, Jeffrey, with um, a dear friend of mine, Josh Garcia. He, he was a survivor of the Pulse nightclub attack. Mm. Um, we, when, when the San Bernardino terrorist attack happened, people were buying the boxes of hope, painting them, sent them to San Bernardino. The survivors of San Bernardino reached out, said, could we do this too? They then sent their stars to Orlando. Uh, uh, A month ago, June 12th, was the one-year anniversary of the terror attack in Orlando. Josh and the owner of of the Pulse nightclub, Barbara Poma, said, could you set up a Stars of Hope painting tent in front of the Pulse nightclub on the one-year anniversary? We had 800 people line up to create more hope through this project. And then last week, we sent Josh, who survived the Pulse nightclub, along with Matt Dighton, who survived the Greensburg tornado, and some of our other staff and volunteers, we sent them to Manchester, England right Mm. where they hung all these stars and at the end of the day the stars are art that people see every day as a way but it's it's about bringing people together and and you know i'll I'll leave you with this which is i didn't fully understand what we were doing until about a year ago i attended a conference uh sponsored by tuesday's children on emotional recovery and resilience post-disaster and the guy in charge of counterterrorism for the united nations made this most incredible statement He said, we will never fully be able to defeat terrorism, but we can defeat terror. And the way you defeat terror is by becoming a more resilient society. And the way you become a more resilient society is by strengthening the social fabric between the nodes. That's what we've been doing all these years. And that's what we continue to do every single day. So that's the opportunity for people to really get involved with.
0: Well, my friend, I'm so glad I met you on the plane. I'm so Likewise. glad I got to know more Likewise. about this. And by the way, just for everybody listening, you don't have to be a 12-year-old girl. Anybody can do this, as he Absolutely. said. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, and it may, I think it would be a great birthday present. I think it would be a great corporate activity. I think it would be a great church activity. I mean, you can give it as a great Christmas present or Hanukkah Harry could give it to you. I mean, what the heck? I mean, they would give it for everyone, right? So I think that's awesome. We should do that. We've got to do that. So, hey, Jeff, uh, we're celebrating uh, actually, we're not really celebrating. We're recognizing and we're recognizing. Mean, we're celebrating hope and healing. That's a good thing. I appreciate but it. We're, rec- yeah, we're recognizing our nine eleven and all that happened. And we're thank you to New York says thank you. And thanks for being a part of the
1: show today.
2: Thank you so much, Jeffrey.
1: You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts.
0: Hey, after every show, I like to talk about the things I learned. You know, I just enjoyed the conversation. You can always tell when I'm being really quiet. Because I'm really thinking and he makes me think. And I thought one of the biggest things that was important is the way in which he talked about how journeys take us place. But the most important thing, you gotta take the step. You gotta take a step in order to get started on the journey. If you don't take the step, he listened to the signs that were going on around him quit what he was doing, and I'm talking about a successful guy. He's been doing this for a long time. Uh, Successful family, successful wife, great kids. You can tell that from everything that comes through. And he created the New York Says Thank You Foundation. And the most important thing is he took a step. He recognized the signs. So, signs all around you, my friend. Are you watching for them? Are you looking for them? Are you trying to find them? And then step into it and find out. Sometimes you find out it's not the right thing. That's a sign, okay? And here is a great organization that's bringing about hope and healing. What a great thing. Reach out, do something, paint a star, get a star, get hundreds of stars, and make it happen. And you'll learn about it right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazard, right here on C-Suite Radio.
1: Welcome to C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com.